Well, as Chris said, I am Sam. And you can insert your own green eggs and ham joke there. But uh, I am thankful to be here today and uh, to be able to share God's word with you. And uh, ultimately to share God's word with myself. Because uh, I find that as I study God's word and as I spend time preparing to teach, usually I end up getting more out of it than um, I think probably you will. So hopefully you'll get just a little bit of what uh, I got out of it this week. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to Philippians, it's going to be in the last third of your Bible. We're going to be in Philippians 1, looking at verses 12 through 18. But before we jump in, let's uh, go back to God and ask Him to bless this time of Bible study here together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity that we have to study your word, Father, for everything that you have given to us, Lord, for the rain that has come and for our ability to come and be here and to fellowship with one another, Lord, for your word that has already gone forth in Sunday school, Lord, and now for your word as it's about to come forth, Father. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears to be able to hear and to understand and to take your word and to apply it to our lives, Father. Pray that you would move me out of the way and speak through me, Father. Say what it is that you want to say to your people. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be able to take this word and to apply it in our lives. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Philippians 1. 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that... I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This is a fascinating passage. As we look at it and we see that it's building on what Paul has already told us in, in the letter of Philippians and taking the knowledge that we have, we see that Paul's writing to the Philippian church. He is not present with them. He's actually there in prison in Rome. And it seems, by Paul's words here, that the Philippians are a little bit troubled. They might be uh, somewhat worried about Paul, their, their founding pastor. Much in the same way that if I got word on a Saturday night that Chris was in the Jefferson County Jail, I would be a little concerned. And I suspect probably you would be as well. Because that's not really something that you desire of your pastor. And if indeed he had been shipped from the Jefferson County Jail up to Washington, D.C., and put in prison there and remain there for a while, we'd probably want to hear something from him and know that he was okay. 
And I think here Paul is doing the same thing, trying to reassure the Philippians that everything is okay, that God is still at work and in control in the midst of all of these strange circumstances that he has encountered. And he's continuing to share the gospel and to encourage the saints. And as you see here, in verse 13, he says, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that I am here, a prisoner for the defense of the gospel. He's sharing the gospel almost to the point, you see, where Paul is saying, everybody knows. And it almost comes across to me like everybody's almost annoyed. Like, here's that Paul guy, and he's probably going to be preaching about the gospel again because that's what he does. Much in the same way that when you get a new car, something significant happens in your life, or your football team does well, or something like that, that everybody that sees you, everybody that encounters you, hears about that. Because you can't help, because you're so full and so excited about it, that you just want to tell them about it. And yet Paul is dealing with something so much more significant than a new car or a football game. He's actually talking about the gospel almost to the point of being an annoyance. But he's using this example to encourage the other believers. And other believers are seeing this example, and they're stepping forward, and they're sharing the faith. And so what the Romans suspect is that if they throw Paul, the pastor, in prison, that they will stamp out the gospel. But really, it does the opposite. Rather than deterring the saints of God, the Philippian church, and those around them that are encouraging and strengthening them, from sharing the gospel, it's actually encouraging them because they're looking at Paul as an example and they're saying, well, if he's in prison and he's continuing to share the gospel, then we can too. And so others are seeing his example and they're stepping forward. They're not discouraged. And neither is Paul. I mean, he could have been discouraged. Certainly there was plenty of opportunity for him to be... I mean, look at this. He's in prison. And this isn't like you know, a nice prison where it's probably, you know, warm and they're on the Mediterranean and they're giving him olive oil and figs and all. No, this is in Rome. It's dark. It's cold. It's dank. The Romans were notorious for not being very nice to their prisoners. So Paul had all kinds of reasons to be discouraged because he's in prison. He's there. I think if any one of us have ever even visited a prison, let alone spent any time there, we would know that this is not really a place where your spirits are going to soar and you're going to be excited and fired up about things. No. This is a place that is designed to break you. It is designed to put you down. And yet in the midst of this, here's Paul, encouraged, strengthened, excited. Well, that's not the only reason why he has reason to be discouraged. There's people that are trying to get at him. There are people that are using his imprisonment as an opportunity to advance their own standing within the church. They've taken the opportunity in Paul's absence to try to promote themselves over and above, to try to decide whether it's, as Paul says, envy, rivalry, whatever, to put themselves over and against Paul and in doing so to try to discourage him. And yet throughout all of this, Paul's not discouraged. Well, why is this? doesn't make any sense. I think the first reason that we can look at this and see why Paul is not discouraged is because he recognizes that it's not his business what other people are doing. We look at the example of Jesus. And in Mark 9, 
his disciples come to him and in what to me is a pretty hilarious story, come to him and basically tattle on somebody else. And the disciples come and they're like, well, hey, Jesus, we saw this guy and he was trying to cast out demons and he wasn't with us. And so we told him to stop it, but he wouldn't. You go get him. And Jesus says to them, essentially, it's none of your business. He says, it doesn't matter. He says, because whoever is doing things in my name is not going to then be able to turn around and disparage me in the next breath. And he says to the disciples, whoever is for us is not against us. Paul recognizes this. And Paul, because of this, recognizing that it's not his business, is able to say, it does not matter to me what the reason is that people are preaching the gospel. The gospel is going forth, and that is important. I think there's a lesson there for us today as we think about that. It's not our business what other churches and other denominations and even other Christians are doing. We don't need to worry, but we have enough stuff going on in our own lives that we don't need to worry about them. Certainly there's opportunities to correct false doctrine and to take care of those sorts of things, as both Paul and Jesus took opportunity to do. But I do think that I, I know that I have so much other stuff going on in my life that I need to take care of before I can even begin to think about pointing the finger at somebody else and pointing them out and disparaging them. Paul understood this, and he saw the priority was the gospel. And so this gives us the key. And Paul tells us the key in verse 18. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. His perspective is changed, and for him the gospel becomes a priority, becomes the number one priority in his entire life, and he doesn't worry anymore about what people are going to think. He doesn't worry about all the sorts of things that are going on that are beyond the scope of his control, but instead he worries about the gospel going forth because his perspective has changed. Perspective makes a humongous difference. I don't know about you, but I love when you click on Yahoo's homepage or something like that and it pops up with this picture that says new optical illusion or something like that. Or when you go into a bookstore and you're killing time and you find a book that has optical illusions in it and you flip through and you look at them. Because I love looking at it and seeing sort of what your first initial impression of something is. I don't know if you've seen this one, but you look at it and you see this picture, and it looks like just a vase standing on a table or a wine glass standing on a table. And you're kind of looking at it, and you're thinking, okay, what's so significant about this? But then maybe somebody shows you, or you look again, and you read about it, and you see, well, if I look at it from a different angle, it's actually two people kissing. It's, it's an optical illusion, and your perspective changes. Where you once saw a vase, you can now see two people kissing. Or maybe you've gone to the fair and you've gone to everybody's favorite, the fun house, where you can go and, and look in those mirrors. And those mirrors show you this reflection of yourself, but it's this distorted reflection. And so you look at it and it, everything looks all goofy and everything, all, everything's out of proportion. And maybe your, your feet look enormous and gigantic and, and your legs are real bow-legged and out like this. And then your waist is all shrunken in and, and it comes back out and your shoulders are huge and then your head is real tiny and small and... You're looking at it, and then you go to the next one, and everything's all distorted. And 
out of proportion and, and messed up. It's because it gives you a different perspective. But I think that what sin does to us is it gives us a distorted, a distorted perspective, much in the same way that if you looked at a funhouse mirror and you decided that you were going to get surgery and, and shape your body based on that distorted funhouse mirror, you would come out looking pretty messed up. And when we look at our reflection of our lives and we see it through the sin in our lives, the sin that we have, it distorts it and it doesn't show us a clear picture. But yet we continue to go throughout our lives making adjustments to our lives based on the reflections that we see in the funhouse mirror of sin. We don't take the time or recognize that our perspective is all messed up. So we're there looking at the funhouse of sin, trying to correct our giant feet and our bow legs, and maybe we get surgery to correct that. And Maybe we say we have a concave chest, and so we try to get something. No, all of these things are simply a matter of perspective. And were you to go to a correct mirror, you'd be able to look and see that actually there's nothing wrong there, that it's okay, and that you're able to continue on without having to take all these drastic measures. We continue to do that. The gospel is that correct mirror. The gospel helps us to see our lives clearly and correctly so that we can make the changes that are needed and we can live our daily lives. And it's only when we change our perspective and make the gospel a priority in our lives that then we are able to make the changes that we need to. So how do we do this? Well, one example that we can see is the cross. And I think the cross presents for us a, a fantastic picture of this. If somebody from, from Jesus' day came back today and you just drove them around for a little while and allowed them to immerse themselves their culture, and if they were here today, probably one of the questions that they would ask as they saw things, as they saw this cross standing here, they would say, why do you have this cross everywhere? Which would be akin to asking, why do you have on the tops of buildings the hangman's noose, the gas chamber, the electric chair? Why is that? That, that doesn't... Because the cross was an instrument of death, an instrument of torture that the Romans used to intimidate and scare people, much in the same way that we talk about the electric chair or the gas chamber or the gallows. And yet, the cross, because of what Jesus did there on the cross, taking all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, putting it on himself, Bearing the wrath of God, being separated from His Father, the worst thing that we can imagine, complete and total separation, yet Jesus takes that all upon Himself. And because of that, and because of His final, ultimate victory when He rises again from the grave, the cross becomes to us no longer an instrument of torture and death, but a symbol of our salvation. This is the power of the gospel in changing our perspective. It can take something that looks like death and make it a symbol of salvation. In Paul's situation, he knows this. And he sees the gospel going forth. 
as so much more important than his status or his comfort. So what about our situation? Where are we? What are we more concerned about? I don't know about you. I'm not sure that I want to answer that question, or at least answer it honestly. Are we more concerned about our status? Are we more concerned about our comfort? I know certainly in Paul's life that wasn't true. Well, what about Jesus? Paul continues on, and we'll look at this later this month as we continue through our, our series in Philippians. But if you just look over one chapter in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Status and comfort were completely disregarded by Jesus. He gave up his position for you and for me. Are we willing to do that for others? That's a hard, hard question. So how do we change our perspective? How can we make the gospel a priority in our lives? We can do this by focusing in on what the gospel truly is. And when we look at the gospel, we look and we see who we were, we see what God did, and we focus in on what is to come. So this is the priority of the gospel for ourselves. We have to believe this because we know who we were, dead in our sins, completely alienated, separated from God with no way back, stuck out in the middle of a giant forest with no way, no ability, no compass, no tools, no nothing, no ability to find our way out. Night is falling, it's getting cold, no one's coming. We're stuck. A hopeless situation. And yet, there we are. That's who we were. But what God did was He stepped down into history in the form of His Son, in the form of a man who came and lived a sinless life so that He could then take us, take us out of that forest and lead us to a place. So God saved us from our sin. Saved us. Essentially saved us from ourselves. Because left to our own devices, we will mess it up every single time. Because we're looking at it wrongly. Our perspective is completely clouded and messed up. But yet there is God leading us, helping us, giving us this picture. So for ourselves, we need to believe the gospel for salvation. Because God saved us not just so that we could get out of one line that's shuffling towards hell to get into another line that's shuffling towards heaven. No, God saved us, yes, so that we could spend eternity with Him in heaven, but He also saved us so that we could have a living, vibrant, dynamic relationship with Him while we were here on the earth. And that is what salvation is. So the priority of the gospel for ourselves is first for salvation. 
But it's secondly for encouragement. Because we know that once we have this salvation, once we have this relationship with God, anything that comes after this is only temporary. It's not what is to come. So in the midst of that, we can have the example of Paul, who stares down vicious attacks by foes, who stares down prison and any number of other things as we read more and more about Paul's life and we learn about beatings and shipwrecks and imprisonments and everything else that Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel, he can look at all of those things and just smile and know that because of those things, that they are temporary, that they won't last. Because we have a different perspective and the gospel is a priority, we can look at these things and know that one day, as Revelation 21.4 tells us, we will be in a place where there will be no more sin. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sadness. No more tears. And our relationship with Christ will be gloriously culminated when we will see Him face to face. No longer will we have to deal with the funhouse mirrors that completely distort our lives and screw us up constantly. But instead, we will stand face to face with Him and be able to have perfect communion and fellowship with Him. I don't know about you, but that sounds alright to me. So the priority of the gospel becomes in our lives, first of all, for salvation, and secondly, for encouragement. But that's just for ourselves. And you don't get something great and something incredible like this and just keep it to yourself because others need to hear as well. And so the gospel becomes a priority not only for ourselves, but for others. For others for salvation. We want to share this with them. Why would we? Keep it to ourselves. What's the point? Because the gospel came to you not just to rest in you, but the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. The gospel came to you not as a stopping point, but as a conduit, something that the gospel can flow through so it goes to someone else. So the gospel came to others for salvation. Why would we keep this to ourselves. This is why we as a church are seeking to reach out to our community and to our world through the different things that we do with missions and outreach and those sorts of things so that others may hear, so that others may know, so that they too can share in this glorious relationship with Jesus Christ. But the gospel also came to others for encouragement. Because if you're anything like me, there's sometimes that you forget what the end of the story is and you need a little bit of reminding. And you need someone around you to come to you and to encourage you and to strengthen you in that. And sometimes we serve that role in others' lives and sometimes others serve that role in our life. But that's why we do things like come here on a Sunday morning and strengthen and encourage one another through the preaching of God's Word, through the singing of songs. This is why we have things like life groups so we can all spend time together to encourage and strengthen one another. This is why we have Sunday school. This is why we have Bible studies. We spend time getting together, encouraging, telling one another, this isn't it. This is only temporary. We can persevere because we know how the story ends. We know that one day we will see God face to face. And we need to hear that constantly, repetitively, 
over and over in our lives. So where do you stand today? Is the gospel a priority in your life? Have you received the salvation? Can you say absolutely? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all suffering that I have is temporary and I don't have to worry. Or are you still wondering? Are you discouraged? I don't know what you walked through that door with. I don't know if you came through and everything is fine and your life is wonderful and you absolutely believe it that yes, everything is great and we are going to win in the end. Or I don't know if you dragged yourself stumbling through those doors, bearing burden on your shoulders, the weight and the pain of the suffering that we all deal with in this world. But you know what? God does. God absolutely knows exactly where you are and exactly what you're dealing with. And He loves you more than you can ever imagine. And He doesn't want you to be stumbling around bearing those things. He doesn't want you to be stumbling around in the dark, in the forest, in the woods without anything. He wants to take you by the hand and to lead you to the light. And that may mean that sometimes you go through things and that may mean that sometimes you will have to deal with things and struggle with things that don't seem like they're fair and don't seem like they're right. But the thing is, in the end, we can all be encouraged because of the priority of the gospel. The gospel should permeate and be a part and a primary part of every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your son to come to earth for a bunch of people that were stuck and lost and couldn't find their way. And Lord, I pray right now for each and every one of us. Lord, we need your gospel to become real in our lives today. And we need you more than we even know ourselves. So I pray that you would take this word, Lord. pray that you would apply it to our lives. Help us to believe it for ourselves and for others, for salvation and for encouragement. In Jesus' name.